Hey, I want to speak to you this morning a standalone message before we start another series in a couple weeks called Checkmate. This is just something that God birthed in my heart this week that I want to share with you. Checkmate. And I want to read a couple uh, passages of Scripture. The first one I want to read is uh, something I'm... I'm sure I've never preached on this. Uh, more, probably you could count the times on one hand that I've ever preached on this book, but it's the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 2. This, this uh, verse has been ringing in my heart this week, and I want to share it with you. It says, and it should be on the screen, yes, for the, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. How many of you got a promise from God, a breakthrough that you're waiting on God for, and, and it just hasn't come, but you've just been waiting? Um, I hope I'm speaking to some of you this morning, but I want to read another passage of Scripture from 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 1, and this should be on the screen as well. It says, A wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. Now, I said I've, I rarely have ever preached from Habakkuk, but I think this story in the Bible I've preached on more than any story in the Bible. I love this story, and it's like I feel like I, you could do um, months and months of preaching on this one story, and so I want to take it a different route than I have before this morning, something that God's been speaking to me. But how many of you have ever felt like God takes a lot of time? He takes too long sometimes. I know you say God's always on time, but you know if you've been serving God for a little while, that's true, but it's also true. He's, he's rarely early, right? I mean, God does not show up early, and I think it, this bothers us, especially in this generation, because we are a microwave generation, but we have a crockpot God. Can I get an amen? We have a God who, who does things, and he doesn't do things in our time. He, he doesn't do things uh, in 30 seconds like a microwave would. He takes his time, and he slow cooks things. He's, he's a God of slow, then suddenly. He does things slow, and then suddenly things happen. He's kind of like my wife, because uh, my wife gets ready very slow, but then I fall asleep while she's getting ready. But how many of you know when she's ready to go? It's suddenly. What are you doing? Why are you sitting around? Let's go. It's time to go. We can't just wait around. Slow, then suddenly. My wife is godly. That's what I'm saying. She's slow, then suddenly. Like how I clean that up there. But there's a process that God takes us through because he does things slowly, and that's not for no purpose. God has a God of purpose. Everything he does is on purpose. So when he takes us through a process and we get to a new place slowly, it's because he intends for us to do it slowly. And sometimes it can feel very slow with God. I want to show you a painting on the on the screen here. It's called Checkmate, and I've talked about this painting before. It's a very famous painting. And uh, I read this story about this chess player, and, and he was going through this art gallery one day, and he stopped at this painting, and he studied it for about a half an hour. He just stared into this painting. And then something occurred to him, and he asked the, the janitor of the, of, the, of the gallery, he said, do you have 
a chessboard. And he said, I think I might. And the, and the guy went away and came back and brought him a chessboard. And this, pro, this professional chess player, he, he, he was a champion. And he set up this chessboard and he'd look at the picture and then he'd look at the board. And he'd look at the picture and he set it up exactly like the board was in the picture. And in a moment, he realized something. He realized something that, that I think everyone who walked by this had just thought, this is it. Because on the left, this man is supposed to represent Satan. And he's, and he's gazing as if he's won. And he's got this other man puzzled and not knowing what he's going to do because it looks like checkmate. But he, this chess player, he realized as he was studying this, he realized that, hey, man on the right, if you would realize what I realized, you'd, you would see that there's one more move that can not only help you avoid defeat, but will give you victory in this game. There's something that went unnoticed. And I think this is the story of history. If you look through history, you see this, this continual story. You see God created the angels when time began to bring him glory. And then uh, Lucifer rebelled against the glory of God and wanted it for himself. He took a third of the angels with him. Then God, in response, created a lesser man to show um, the angels what he could do with a lesser man that would actually worship him and obey to him over a greater creature who was rebelling against him. He created man. And then, and, and then the cosmic chess game kind of began. And the enemy responds by lying to God's creation and sin entered the world. But then God's turn is when he slays an animal to provide a redemptive covering for Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis. Then Satan's turn to move. He sees, um, we see it when he causes Cain to kill his brother because he wants to rid the world of the godly line so Genesis 3.15 can never come to pass. God's promise of the Messiah coming through the, the daughter of God, Eve, coming through Eve. And then God responds by Eve being pregnant again with Seth. And the Bible says the the name of God was again heard on the lips of men. And then Satan gets the entire world to rebel against God by the influence of, of his demons. And then God responds by telling Noah to build a boat in the day. And he says, in the day I want you to build a boat, but at night I want you to go pass out tracks that have a three-word sermon that says, it's going to rain. And then Noah, he does all this, and God judges the whole world except Noah's family. But then Satan raise up, raises up a man named Nimrod who creates this, this humanism, this man-created religion where they want to make their way to heaven, and he creates this Tower of Babel. I call it the Tower of Josh Babel because he's so um, humanistic. I'm um, just kidding, but... Then God responds, sorry, it's the Nebraska thing, you can't be redeemed. God responds by scattering the people, <laughs> sit down and hear the word of the Lord. Um, he's scattering the people and confusing their languages so they can't communicate anymore. And then God raises up a man named Abraham and says, I'm going to have my own nation of my own people who will listen to me and won't rebel against me. And then Satan responds by allowing the Israelites to be trapped in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And then it's God's move. And he responds by raising up a man named Moses to set the people free. Are you getting the picture yet? And then Satan responds by getting the Israelites trapped between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. And then God responds by parting the Red Sea so that his people people can walk through on dry ground. You see, the entire Old Testament is move and counter move. God moves, Satan moves. God moves, Satan moves. And then we have this interesting period at the end of the Old Testament. It's 400 years of silence as if both players stand back to look at the condition of the board and to see what's next. And then the beginning of the New Testament, it looks like it's God's turn because it begins with Abraham begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so. And up until this point, God had raised up a man, but it 
it's as if in, at this time, God is saying, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and handle this punk myself, and I'm going to go down there. And he entered history through the person of Jesus Christ. Satan responds by trying to rid the world of Jesus Christ. He had him falsely arrested and beaten and crucified on a cross, and the devil stepped back and thought to himself, checkmate, checkmate. But how many know that's when the real move occurred? Because early on a Sunday morning, just before daybreak, Mary went to a tomb and found an angel sitting on top of the tomb with a sign that said, hashtag, he ain't here, he's risen. And then all of a sudden, the enemy stepped back and realized that what he thought he had won, he had not won. Because how many you know God has the final move? God has the final move. I can just imagine the devil's face that day saying, I don't understand what happened. You were dead and now you're alive. I don't get it. And then Jesus responds in, in Revelation 1.18 when he says, hello from the other side. I was dead but now alive. And then can we just thank God that we have a God who brings hope and healing in his wings, that he came, we have a Savior that died and that was resurrected and said, I don't care what the enemy says, I have the last move. I think we just need to take a second and give God praise that he overcame on your behalf. Can we do that? Can you take a couple seconds and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. And all of that, just to get to this point where I want to say, now I realize what's happening in your life. Move, counter move, move, counter move. How many of you know that what Jesus did on the cross has already been, it already caused us to have victory, but the enemy has backed us into a corner in seasons of our life, thinking that I want to give up, that that it's over, but I need you to know this morning that, that the king has one more move on your behalf. That you might be feel like you're backed in a corner, but it's time to look back at the board and see something differently than you've seen it before this morning. Because I believe there's breakthrough that God wants to do in your life, and the war is already won, but the war's not over yet. Let me explain this. Let me try and figure out how I can explain this in terms you'll, you'll understand. Have you ever been to a, a Phoenix Suns game? In about the third quarter, we're getting crushed, right? You ever, if you've been to a Suns game, you know what this feels like. Um, people, they, they start leaving the stands because they already know who the clear winner is, but it's, it's a long way off from the final buzzer going off, but there's already been declared a winner about the end of the third quarter. You ever been to one of these games? Um, I think it's, it reminds me of another, of another time in high school when I used to go to basketball games. And I used to go watch the, them play, and, and we weren't that good. But I remember one time we were winning by two points in the fourth quarter, and all of us students in the stands started counting down, and the other team inbounded the ball, and uh, we started counting down three, two, one. We were up by two points. Their player hurled a full-court shot. It went off the backboard and missed. And then the player looked up at the scoreboard and the clock, and there was actually three minutes left. Oh, he was so embarrassed, but we laughed our heads off. And... And I need you to know that the enemy wants you to believe that there's no more time on the clock, but I'm here to tell somebody this morning, it ain't over until the buzzer goes off. We're going to keep fighting. We're going to keep moving because what is the buzzer? Thessalonians tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is going to descend with a shout, the voice of an archangel and the trump of God, and that's the buzzer. And if that hasn't gone off, then guess what? I'm still in the fight, and I'm still believing that every move that the enemy does, there's a counter move that God already has in store because I'm not fighting for victory. I'm fighting 
coming from victory in the name of Jesus Christ. We already won. The game might not be over, but the victory's already been won. If you've read the end of the book, you know Jesus already wrote the story. It's already won. But can I tell you, I know a lot of God's finest people that know what it's like to feel like they're losing. You ever felt like, I know, I know, Brent, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win. God has this in his hands, but I just feel like I'm losing right now. I feel like um, God always shows up later than I expect him to. Maybe in the nick of time, but just this once, I feel like I'm just, I just want to give up because God hasn't shown up when I expected him to. And some of God's finest people get discouraged this way. But this brings us to our text where I can relate with this woman who feels like giving up because everything's been taken from her. I can imagine she thought to herself, where is God in all this? My husband was a good man, and it appears like time is up. But can I tell you, there's one thing that she realizes before I give up. She wants to hear from the man of God. And can I tell you this morning, if you feel like giving up, first I want you to understand that remember that God has the final word. And I need to hear from God before I give up anything. Because if he's not finished, then I'm not finished. And so this... This woman, she knew what it was like to have bad things happen. And I'm sure a lot of of you have had the same thing happen. Where you've even fallen probably into the trap of comparing your life with other people's lives. And saying, God, I'm doing everything that I feel like I can do. I'm studying the word and I'm spending time with you. And I'm I'm going uh, to church and I'm in community. God, I'm even giving and I'm serving. And I just don't understand why all of this is happening in my life. And I look over and and nothing bad is happening to that person. But God, I feel like I'm I'm just doing doing so much more for you than that. We play this comparison game, can we be honest? And I think that when we get in this, we, we, we begin to think God is taking things away and people are hurting me and we start to question God, what in the world is going on in my life? Because the enemy comes to rob us of everything God has given us. Do you know that? So we, we get these questions because the enemy comes to rob us and the very first thing I think we need to go back to, the very first thing God ever gave us was his image. Right? And through his image, we have our identity. And so we have God's image. It was the first thing he ever gave to us. And that means we're made to reflect God's peace. We're made to reflect his joy. We're made to reflect all his goodness, his love. Everything about God, we are created in his image to reflect him. Because when we see in Genesis, the very first five days, he created everything with his word. And then he reached down and he formed man in his image. And then he gave man dominion. And I've realized that we have such an identity crisis in our culture that if God can take your image and confuse you about your identity, then all of a sudden he can take your dominion and the very same thing he created you to rule over are now ruling over you. Because if he can take your image and we get caught up in this, he can take everything from us. See, we have a na- by nature have to attach ourselves to a substance. God made us in his image and we have to reflect God. But if we're not reflecting God, we're going to reflect something. It's like the moon. The moon has light when it is connected to the substance of the sun. But if you take away the sun, the moon has no light in itself. There has to be a substance connected to it to reflect what it's made to reflect. And in the same way, you have to be connected to the substance of God to reflect what you are made to reflect. But we get in these identity crises because you are trying to attach yourself to other, so many other things, looking for some substance to attach yourself to to fulfill you. And you are made to attach yourself to God. You feel empty, alone, and incomplete. But can I tell you, God created you to reflect Him, and you attach yourself 
yourself to alcohol and they called you an alcoholic because you were never meant to reflect alcohol, but you started to take on its characteristics and reflect that instead of God. People look at you and say that person is angry because you started to take on the substance of anger and you reflected it. Man, you took on depression and all of a sudden you reflected it to everyone around you and they say that person is depressed. Can I tell you, you were never made to reflect those things. You were never made to reflect insecurity. You were never made to reflect that inferiority. You were never made to reflect pride, but you took on pride. And they, and they began to say, that person is prideful because you were reflecting the wrong thing. You connected yourself to the wrong thing. You connected yourself to liking Justin Bieber, and they started calling you a believer. Can I, ooh, that just feels wrong. You connected yourself to the wrong thing. You're supposed to be a believer, not a believer in Jesus' name. Courtney, I'm preaching to you. Hear the word of the Lord preaching to the whole front row this morning. You're all getting it. Um, But can I tell you, when you came to Jesus, you were made to put his identity back on you. You were made to reflect his righteousness, his holiness, his faith, his love, his godliness, everything about God. You were created to reflect it, and that's what you should be reflecting this morning. But the enemy wants to steal our identity. He wants to steal everything God has given us, and this woman understands that. So the first thing we see in the story is she runs to the man of God and she says, hey, you know, my husband, you know, your servant is dead. And now they're coming to take my children and put them into slavery. And she appeals to this man of God. And I think it's interesting because in other words, she's saying as much as my husband was my responsibility, he's also your responsibility. So I'm coming to you because he was my husband, but he was also your servant. And I need you to know the things that you go through are your responsibility, but you need to know they're also God's responsibility, that he has marked down everything that the enemy has taken from you. And he promised to give you back more than even was taken from you. My God does not forget you are his responsibility so I need to encourage you this morning do not quit before the buzzer because my God has one more move and he's seen everything that the enemy has taken from you in those in those days it it was it was not a culture like we have today where women will work women would not work in that day and so when a husband would die that was her past provision that would die with him meaning she had no way to make money and her past provision died and now they're coming to take her two, her two children, her boys, who were her future provision. And what they do in that time is they would take your children to be slaves to pay off your debt for 50 years it would go through. For 49 years they would serve and on the 50th year it was called the year of Jubilee where they would set people free and say your debts are paid. And so for 49 years her children were about to be taken away. My past provision and my future provision are being taken away. So what do you do when you find yourself in a time like this? When you find it, feel like it's over, when God has left you, you've been through seasons where you felt that way, even if it's not true. I need you to know what she did was the right thing. You need to find someone who's got the word of God in their mouth, who understands that, that God has the final word. And you know what? I'm going to go see the man of God, and I'm going to go straight to God, because if he promised these things over me, then it's not only my responsibility, it's his responsibility. But this woman realized before God does a miracle of multiplication like she did, he does through the oil, he first sometimes does some subtraction in your life. He took away everything this woman had. And, and I've realized this true in, in my life that when God subtracts things from my not life, he is not punishing me. He's pruning me. That there's a season that I'm heading into where things have to be taken away that can't go on with me. And it's going to help me to bring forth more of a harvest in the next season. But this woman, she understood this because she lost everything. 
In the end, she had multiplication. She had all this oil. All her debts were paid and some. But in this season she's in, it felt like everything was being taken away from her. But in the end, she had a harvest. Another biblical example would be Jesus. He started out with 12 disciples, and then he ended with 11 after Judas. But then guess what? After the Holy Spirit fell, immediately 3,000 people. A miracle of multiplication happened when the Holy Spirit fell. So I need to encourage you this morning, when God removes something from your life, stop whining and start worshiping and saying, God, I believe that everything that you've taken away, I believe it's for a purpose that you're pruning me, that I'm going to worship you. Thank you for pruning me, God. Thank you that you're doing more than I can even imagine. And this might look like in your life, like the time you said, I can't believe I lost that job. Why is this happening? God, if you love me, why have you taken this job away? Can I remind you of who got you that job in the first place? The same person who opened that door is going to open another door. And so there's no reason to start whining. It's time to start worshiping and saying it's time for a new season and a new thing, that there's a harvest coming in my life. Or maybe you've said, I can't believe they left me. Me. I mean, they broke up with me, you know? I mean, can you believe it? I can't believe it. God, why would this be happening? But, but then later on, have you ever gone and like stalked your ex on Facebook? And you're like, oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You, you, didn't, you didn't take anything from me. You delivered me from that thing. What I cried about yesterday, I'm going to be worshiping God about in tomorrow. So can we give God praise and say, you know what? Everything you took away, I give you praise for. Just like everything you gave me. That you're not finished with me because when God subtracts, he's setting you up for multiplication. And then in the story, we see the prophet, he, he asks the woman, what do you have in your house? She says, I got, I got nothing. Her first answer is, we have nothing. Can I tell you, your first answer is usually the wrong answer. Have you realized that when you're going through something, it's the one that gets you in trouble? And then finally she says, well, I, I got this little jar of oil. That's it. That's all I got. And then the prophet says, go get as many vessels as you can. Don't just gather a few. And when you get them, go into the room and shut the door. We love to offer our offenses and our circumstances to everyone around us. Don't we air it? Isn't that what Facebook and Instagram is for, right? To air? No, that's not what it's for. But isn't that what we do? We love to, talk, to call Susie so-and-so and tell her about all of my issues and what I'm going through. Can I tell somebody this morning, stop talking to them, get in your room, close the door, and take your issues to Jesus in private, that what he can do in private will well outweigh everything that you can do in public. And, and so they brought these empty vessels into the room. The Bible tells us that they shut the door behind them and they began to pour the oil until the vessels were full. Praise God, an awesome miracle in the scripture. But I need you to realize this morning the transfer of oil did not take place in public. It took place in private. Because your private ministry always needs to outweigh your public ministry. Because if what you're doing in public is always going to be a reflection of what you've done in private. So if you're falling apart in public, it's a reflection that you haven't been in the private place. That you haven't been in a place saying, God, I want to do something. I want to see you move. I'm, believe I'm taking my issues to you because you can, you can do something with them. This is a completely strange model to the disciples at the time. It, it threw them off because they were so used to seeing the Pharisees and the religious leaders of their day go out into public and pray loudly for everyone to see. This was a public prayer. This is, this, is, this is why it messed them up when they saw Jesus do the opposite. He said things like, let's go to the mountain and pray. Let's go to be in private. Hey, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, let's go a little farther. So we're in private. Let's go a little farther and pray. 
And, and we see Jesus show this model of getting into this private place. And they ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because they'd never seen re- results like Jesus had, right? The Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day didn't do the things Jesus did. And Jesus wants us to see that something that happened in private prepared him for something that happened in public. And, and another example of this would be when the miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus took place. Jesus begins his prayer by saying something interesting. He begins his prayer by saying, Father, you have heard me. In past tense. He's saying, God, we've already worked this out in private. Now it's about to be seen in public. But what I did in private prepared for what you see in public. Because the authority you have in public is birthed in the private. And so if you've been asking God for more authority, if you've been asking God to to continue to help you to grow, I'm telling you, it does not happen by publicly praying in front of people. It does not happen by standing on a stage like I'm doing this morning and saying, God, would you pour out your spirit? No, I'm telling you, it happens in the private place. If you want to have a public ministry that can change lives, it happens in the private place. We want the promise, but we reject the process. And Jesus taught them the process before he teaches them the principles. The first thing Jesus says when they say, teach us how to pray, is Jesus says, go into your room and shut the door because whatever is done in secret will be rewarded in public. He's trying to show us something. that We need to get in our room and shut the door. Another example is when a woman is pregnant and she's going into labor, all her family and friends, they rush to the hospital to hold this little baby, right? What they don't realize while they're holding this little baby and taking cute photos for social media is that what they're actually holding is the manifestation of something that was prepared in private for 40 weeks. And so they, they get to hold this promise, and everyone loves the promise. Everyone loves to see the breakthrough, but actually it took 40 weeks of a pregnant woman carrying something. And this was birthed in private. This was, this was a result of something intimate that happened. And, and now all of a sudden something is birthed inside of them. Because when you're pregnant with something, you begin to walk different. Can I tell you, if, you're, if something's happening in the private place, it affects the way you walk just like a pregnant woman. And it's easy to tell if, if what you've been saying you're doing in the private place doesn't add up. Because what I see in public is not adding up with something happening in the private place. There's no intimacy and it's visible. You say you're pregnant, but I don't see a belly. I don't see you walking different. I see you walking just like the world. But if you've been walking with Jesus in the private place and he's burst something in you and there's intimacy, you're going to begin to walk a little different in public public because he's doing something inside of you. Another thing is a pregnant woman has different appetites. I remember when my wife was pregnant, man, we go, it just changed the way she'd eat. Like all of you pregnant ladies, she's shaking her head. Yes, preach it, Pastor Brandt. That's what she's saying. I remember one time she was done eating and I looked up and I'm still eating and she gave me the eyes and I was like, oh, it's on. I was like, you want to, you want to go home? She's like, mm-mm. I want your food. Are you done with that? And, and she took it. She's gobbling it down. I thought to myself, that is so unattractive. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But when a woman is pregnant, what used to fill her no longer will. And can I tell you, when God is birthing something in you and you've been doing some intimacy in the private place, what used to fill you up no longer will. Now you got to go back to the private place and continue to let him develop something. I don't have the same appetites I had before because of what God is doing in the private. If you're asking God to move in the public, are you nurturing something in the private? 
I think the church has forgotten about this promise from God that what you do in the private will be rewarded in public. It doesn't matter what your social media, what your Instagram profile looks like. If you got the pictures of you at church, if you got the pictures of you praying and, and doing all these spiritual things and going on mission trips, that doesn't matter if you're neglecting the private. That's what God counts on. Your friends might care what you do in public, but God is saying if you want the power of God, you want the breakthrough, you got to get in your room, shut the door, and do something in private. That's what God honors. That's what he sees. Once the woman, she shuts the door with these empty vessels, the Bible says the oil starts to flow. Do you know the oil in the word of God? It represents the spirit of God. It represents the power of God. It represents the gift of God. It's your victory. The oil in this story represents your breakthrough this morning. And if you want to have the breakthrough, you got to get in the door. you got to get in the room and shut the door. He says, get in the private place. Be a vessel I can pour into and watch the oil start to flow. Watch your breakthrough start to happen. Watch the power of God start to move in your life if you get in the private place. What, why did the oil stop? Can I tell you, it is not because heaven ran out of oil. The scripture tells us that they ran out of empty vessels. Whatever your need is this morning, heaven has the oil for it. It's not, it's not a matter of heaven saying, I don't have enough oil left over. The, heaven, the oil only stopped because the vessels stop. Can I ask you this morning, do you have a vessel? And in this story, I think it's important that we know what this vessel represents and some of you are saying, I just don't have any vessels. I don't have anything, what it takes to have this breakthrough. I've, just, I've already prayed about this, Pastor Brent. I've already been waiting on God for months to see this happen. How is, this, how is God ever going to make this right? And you're speaking negatively and, and you're speaking death over your breakthrough. I'm just mad because they got breakthrough. And look at their life. Or Brent, maybe God just wants me to live like this. Maybe he doesn't want to give me breakthrough. Or I'm just so mad God didn't fix things earlier. I don't even pray about it anymore. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, I just can't believe that God would actually put me through this. Can I remind you, the entire message this morning is God is not finished yet. If you're speaking negatively and you're speaking death over your breakthrough, I want to encourage you to speak life again. And let me just suggest that you start speaking faith, because faith is the vessel that your breakthrough comes in. Faith is the vessel that the oil comes in on. And if you don't have a vessel, if you don't have the faith for it this morning, God is saying, stir up the faith that I put in you. Because if you're coming in here this morning saying, I don't have any, you have no vessel to put the oil in. It starts with faith, saying, God, I come with nothing, to, with nothing but faith to you this morning. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you're here and you're saying, Brent, I just don't have any faith left. I want to let you know you can borrow some of mine because I believe God can do abundantly and exceedingly beyond all you can ask or even think or imagine. And just like he told them, go out and if you don't have any vessels, go out and borrow some. That's what the church is. We're to strengthen the knees that are weak and hold up the arms that hang low and say, you know what? When you don't have faith, you can borrow some of my faith because God is not finished with you yet. You need to get somebody with the word of God in their mouth to speak over your situation and say, you can use my vessel if you don't have one, but the oil is going to flow in your life in Jesus' name. We're not alone. We have the body of Christ. We have the strength to hold you up. Don't give up now. God is not finished with you. He has the last move. There's oil, and your faith is the vessel that carries the oil. Your breakthrough is coming, and it's boxed up in faith. Can I get the worship team to come back up and help me? You need to know this morning that as long as you bring your faith, the oil will not stop flowing. 
Habakkuk 2.2, I want to read this one more time. And it said, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. If you learn anything from the scripture, you need to learn this. We will win. We have to win. I'm not just saying eternally, I'm saying today, we have to win. And if you feel like you're losing this morning in the name of Jesus, it's time to turn your perspective around and say, you know what, I will not bow down to any circumstance or thing that comes in my life. I've been waiting for a long time, but my God has the final move, and I'm not going to throw in the towel till I hear the buzzer this morning. Every year before Christmas, if you're like me and you have little ones, you, I do this yearly assessment where I look in their room and I see the available space and I compare it to what Santa might bring for the year. And I think to myself, there's no space for the abundance of what's about to come into this place. And so years ago, my wife and I, we decided we need to have a yard sale before Christmas came. And so we took some things out of the girls' room that they, they, didn't, they don't care about. You know, they don't play. These, theirs are from last Christmas. They haven't been touched since January. Let's get rid of it, right? And, and so we got rid of some things, and I'll never forget my older daughter. She was young at the time. She was probably four or five. But after the yard sale, she went looking for this one stuffed animal. She called it Whaley. It was a little whale that she got from a claw machine, a 50-cent claw machine. And she came to us distraught and said, Where, where's my Whaley? And we said, I don't know, maybe... Maybe another little kid has it now, and he's playing for it. She was so distraught. I think today she would still be bitter if we asked her about Whaley. She said, you sold my Whaley. And can I tell you, as I stood there and listened to her cry and be distraught over this, she thought she had lost something. And as I was thinking about this this week, I thought about you, and I thought there's probably some people here who you survived, but you lost something through what you went through. I made it through, Pastor Brent, I'm still here, but something was stolen from you. Your trust was stolen from you because of what they did to you. Your faith was stolen from you. You lost faith because of what was taken. When you made that mistake, something was taken from you. Your peace was taken. Your joy was taken. Your security was taken because of what they did to you. And, and then I, the thing about Katie was I realized that I had so many things waiting for her under a blanket in the closet that she didn't know about. And she was so distraught over this thing that she felt like had been taken from her. Can I tell somebody here this morning, I know you feel like you lost something and you're waiting for a breakthrough, but can I tell you God has a closet in heaven and there's a blanket and there's some things under there that you don't have yet. And if you just get the right perspective, you can see anything that God took away, he's either going to become in my life or he's going to replace in my life with something better. If he took away that person that you thought you needed in your life, it's because he wants to become the person you need or he wants to replace it with the person you actually do need in your life. It's not a reason to start whining. It's a reason to start worshiping and saying, God, I believe in your abundance, that you have a breakthrough. You have something for me that everything that's been taken from me, I just ask in Jesus' name right now, God, we take back all the territory that the enemy has stolen in lives this morning, that he is not the victor, that we fight from victory. And this morning, we just claim 
that God has more for me that's been, that's been taken from me. Will you stand up and will you worship him for a minute with me and just say, God, I trust you. God, we trust you. Jesus, we need you, Lord. We need your comfort in this place for the young woman who feels like giving up, who feels like too much has been taken from them, and they are on the verge of feeling like it's over. But this morning, I just believe that there's a spirit of victory that's taking over this place in the name of Jesus that's saying God is not finished yet, that there has not been a buzzer, and I'm going to continue to fight, that my God has promised to replace everything he has taken away with something better. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just proclaim that we're coming with vessels this morning, Lord. We're coming with vessels of faith, and I believe the oil of the Holy Ghost is gonna begin to flow in this place, in Jesus' name. I wanna ask the prayer teams to come up right now. We're gonna worship for a minute, and if you need to bring a vessel to the altar this morning of faith, if you need to borrow a vessel of faith and come up, these people have brought their vessels to the altar, and they'll pray with you this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, all we have is a vessel. Will you fill it with your oil this morning? In Jesus' name.